I don't know if you know this, but we actually have an international star here with us this morning. Were you aware of this? That on Remembrance Sunday, a man from our church played the last post in front of thousands of football fans and was broadcast live on Sky. Did you know that? That's better. Give him a round of applause, everyone. Mick, builder Mick Belfield is not only, not only a builder, but an international musician. And he's been asked back, and he did say it was note perfect, and he started to freestyle it a bit at the end. So, amazing job. So, there you go. That's the talent we have in this church. Anyway, the, the only reason I mentioned that, apart from the fact I want to big him up, because you wouldn't know it unless, unless we told you. Um, I've got so many talented people in this church. I mean, people building, what is it, a carriage, Cinderella's carriage, and comedians, and it's great. Anyway, the reason I mention it is because this week... Mick, who is also an international rock star, um, smashed my house to bits and because he's a builder. And I just asked him to steam some wallpaper off and I came home and three walls are gone and some steel beams are gone in. But anyway, on one, on one point, uh, I've been away a bit this week, but I, so I came back home, I left my house intact, came back, house gone. It was a bit astonishing. And on the night I was first slept in the house without the walls there, my house was being held up by acro props that Mick had put in. Now, he's a mate and a brother in Christ, and I have deep faith in Mick, but it was a test in faith. At one point, I'm not a man who has many phobias and fears. I just, I mean, maybe I wouldn't want to be killed by a shark. I think that would be bad, but I don't think about it. I don't really have fears of things, but that night... There was, a, there was a noise, which I actually think was the dog, but I woke up at two in the morning, and, and because there must have been some connection in a, a neuro process in my brain about the fact that my house wasn't supported by walls, but by mixed acro props, Annie had said to my youngest daughter, Annie, don't jump up and down too much in your bedroom, because <laughs> there's not much between you and the floor. I woke up, and for a moment, I had a wave of fear and my heart started to pump. And then I, and because I just woke up from a dream, I actually visualized that I was sloping backwards in my bed. How weird is that? I actually literally did that. And I got like, <laughs> my house is in a fall down. But anyway, I soon recovered ground because I do have faith in my mate. And I know he's a great builder and it was all gonna be all right. And I was being stupid, in fact, when I even mentioned that to Mickey, he went, well, you're all right. It's your daughter who's not, you know, because you're, you're on his massive, massive wooden support. You're absolutely fine. I thought, well, that's all right then. It's just Danny that's at risk and still is, but that's absolutely fine. I'm okay, Jack. But I have faith in, in Mick as a builder. And it got me thinking about this week, actually. It was, I think it's a little bit of a thing from the law because we are looking at faith today and there, just briefly and there are different models of faith actually in the bible so for instance some models of faith would be like moses being pursued and he stands on on the on the coast you know the dead sea and he he looks and then god parts the waters and then he crosses but then you have another so it's all done for him then you have another model of faith where god says to joshua on the banks of the jordan to tell the priest to go into the water and then see what I do. So you actually have to put your feet in the water before you trust, which is a different model of faith, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, God, help us, then it all happens. It's another thing when God says, move towards me and trust me, and then you're going to see it all happen. 
which I think is the more normative model of faith, actually, that we have to live by. And as we look at the church across the UK, there are churches that live in faith, and there are churches that coast in faith, actually. Now, for, I was talking with Karen about this, uh, uh, I can't remember when, very recently, might have been last night. I said to Karen, uh, can you remember what ignited our faith? When, what happened? And Karen immediately went back to a moment when we first planted a church in the mid-90s. What happened was that I prayed for a bloke who had very bad legs, and he was a marathon runner. And he, he was having to stop running. And I prayed for him. I'd never seen a healing before. And, and he was, I, he was either, I can't, because it was over 20 years ago, he was either instantly healed or certainly by that evening saying he was healed. And I'd never seen anything like that at that time. I'd only been a Christian a few years. And I read about it in the Bible, but I hadn't seen it. But something happened. Like he, was, he was healed. Uh, simple as that, he was healed. Now, I've seen a lot of people who have not been healed, but he was. But he did something, he ignited something in there and in there. So suddenly I started to have faith for other stuff. So because I've seen God do one thing, I, I started to stretch out a little bit in faith for other things. And then I started to get a bit bolder in my evangelism. And I told someone about Jesus, and they came to Christ. So then my faith got stretched for telling people about Jesus. And so it built up, and so it built up. And then eventually we started to see some quite astonishing things, actually, uh, which if I look back now, I have to check with people because some of them are just a bit out there. But in those early years, our faith was ignited. And I built faith muscles to the point now where as an evangelist, I have faith that whenever I share the gospel, I'm pretty sure that person's going to come to Christ. They might not, but I have faith that they will. And there are some things that I've seen healed, particular conditions, where I always seem to see a breakthrough that I have more faith for. Does that make sense? It's a bit weird, but, it, but it's true. There are things that I've, I've built faith for because I've seen results. It's like God almost calls something out of me and my faith muscles have been built over years. So there are particular things I think God's put in me and Karen that suit what we're doing at the moment in my day job and stuff. So this brings us into this passage in, in Matthew 9, continuing our Matthew series, where uh, we've had the, the woman who was suffering from bleeding healed in Matthew 10, uh, 9, verse 20. Um, we've seen Jairus' daughter's been raised from the dead. Uh, and then we get on to uh, verse 27 of Matthew 9 which it's a very interesting little sequence of events here. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. So that's an interesting point in itself because they had identified the son of David, that expression means he's the Messiah. So you've got two blind men have identified already that Jesus is the Messiah. So they, they've, got, they've got faith that he is someone other than just normal bloke or a guru. So that's happening. That is not me. That's the speakers. And who thought about designing a microphone where the mute button goes where you're holding it? <laughs> Change that microphone. That's what I say. Blame his tools. Workman blames his tools. 
When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Now, I think there's an interesting interplay happening here when you read between the verses. Jesus went on, two blind men are following him, crying out to him, Son of David, Son of David. I'm reading that like he's ignoring them, actually, because they're calling out after him. So he's ignoring them and ignoring them. And then when he entered that house, they finally catch up to him. So do you, you've got to read between the lines here. They're calling after him and Jesus is like, I'll talk to you in a bit. Just, they're just letting him shout at him. Then he gets into the house and they catch up. And even though they've identified him as the Messiah, he still says to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, it shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about this. Let's dwell for a minute on the first two bits of stuff here. That, that, I'm not pressing it. I'm not treading on any wires because there aren't any. It's not me. It's either a, a powerful anointing from the Lord or the equipment. I go with the latter, but it's not me. Something happens in the first two verses here, in this interplay, in this exchange. And I think what's happening is Jesus is trying to call faith out of them. He wants to see their faith being realized, actuated. He wants faith to be ignited. I don't understand it, but that's what I see happening. And in fact, you see this many times in the Bible where, where faith is called out of people and as a result, stuff happens. So in Acts 2, when loads of people are being saved and miracles are happening, it says the people were full of awe and the apostles did many signs and wonders. It doesn't say the apostles did many signs and wonders and everyone was filled with awe. It's like the, the atmosphere of awe ignites heaven and something happens. In the Luke 8 version of Jairus is Peter, Peter and John and James is it who, who go into the room with Jairus' daughter. He gets everyone else out of the way. And he takes three of the disciples in, in the Luke 8 version of Jairus' daughter, which you just read previously last week in Matthew 9. He goes to raise a little girl from the dead and everyone's making a commotion and a fuss. And he says, no, everyone out apart from you guys. Why is that? Maybe because they had faith. So I'm not, I'm not big on only if we have faith will things happen, but I do see in the Bible that there's a particular thing when people have faith for stuff. And it seems important here that Jesus wanted to call faith out of these blind guys. And it was only when he called faith out of them that he then healed them. Could, could Jesus have healed them before they got to the house? Yes. Of course he could have done. But why did he do that? It's almost like they needed to speak it out and then Jesus was satisfied and then he healed them. Something happens. There's some kind of thing that happens between heaven and earth, I think, when people have faith. Now, as I was praying about this, 
and thinking about it, I said to Karen this morning, I was just sitting on my sofa, having a little think. I said to Karen, I think I've got a word for the church here. Which you know over the last two years, I don't often say that. In fact, maybe once or twice. But I felt a word from the Lord to say to us all, do you believe? And what are we in faith for? Are we in faith for ourselves and our lives? Or are we in faith for more than that? What are we believing for? We've had a, a few vision nights and we've been talking about premises and projects for the homeless and you need to know that there's progress in the background like we're doing stuff and we feel that God's speaking to us but do we believe and what are we in faith for like if we were presented an amazing opportunity like if heaven just opened up an opportunity for us What's our response going to be? What if it was a, 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 an ability to run a whole load of projects? Just fell in our lap. A facility. Something happened. Because these things are happening in the background. But then I just felt this question from the Lord. Are we actually ready? Do we believe? Would we have faith? If I stood in front of you, or Dan or Andrew stood in front of you and said, we've got the funding, we've got a premises, we've got the ability, but we're going to have to step up a bit, would we believe, or would we say, well, because I think that's what's happening here with Jesus and these two guys. I can do this, do you believe? It's a critical moment. And I have to say that I've led organisations before where we've come to that moment and everything is there. It's all in place. And the people have said, no, we're not quite ready. And I've watched it just slip away, fall through, fall through the organisation's hands, which is a terrifying thing. And normally for very good reasons, like, well, we're just enjoying being a family together. I can remember a moment like that. I can remember a moment where we stood on the cusp of getting a 30,000 square foot warehouse and all kinds of things were going to happen with this organisation I was involved in. And we stood in a meeting and we presented it and we're, it was all there to do. And the church said, no, actually just don't want to do that. And it's never quite got to that point again yet. And it could have done. And it was either the Lord or it was a stalking horse or whatever, but that's the facts. And I just felt, as I read this, it's just a little bit of a thing from the Lord here for us. And maybe we need to start taking some steps of faith to build our faith. Because for me, it's been a journey. So I had faith for me and Karen and then the kids that God would support us in ministry. That was the first step. But I didn't have faith for the church to step out. And then I planted a church and I saw God heal people and financial provision come in and people, you know, souls were one into the kingdom and I had faith for that. And then I went to another organisation and became CEO of that and I remember a board meeting where we said it's do or die, we're either going to change or this organisation will die in five years. 
And I, and I remember thinking, oh, well, I've had faith for me and Karen and then faith for the kids that God will provide for that. I've had faith for the first organization that I led and I saw God do that. And I, but I also saw some things go wrong. Now I'm here. Have I got faith for this? And we said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I took on a budget agreement where we had a gap every month of £20,000. We had to find £20,000 every single month or we would go under. And I had faith for it and I had moments where I've told you these stories before. Right at the last moment, someone give us a 10 grand check or a, a whole bunch of money come in or gift aid were coming that we didn't know about and you know we, we made it and then that organization went from a quarter of a million turnover to nearly a million over the period of time that we did it and now I'm at the message trust so I had faith for 20,000 a month now I'm in faith for 300,000 every month every month got a wage bill of quarter of a million pounds and every month we need to find 300,000 pounds in somewhere. And do you know what? Every month we do. And last year, actually, we've just done the sign-off in the accounts, finished 66 grand in front. And the Lord has never let us down. All the shenanigans and the multiple trusts that we have and the 150 staff and all the things you have to do, and God blessed us. And more importantly than that, we had faith on the finance, but we've also had faith for salvation. And we've seen more people saved than ever before, both at Christian Vision for Men and Message Trust, and seeing people saved all the time. Some of you came to our vision night, actually, at the message uh, a week or two ago. And the vision night is for Christians. It's for our supporters. But I'm standing there with Andy Hawthorne, and I just said to him, it's like iron sharpening iron. I went, mate, we're evangelists. We've got to do an appeal. They're all Christian. I went, no, we've got, let's make an appeal for salvation. Let's... I've got faith for that, see? I've got faith for it. We made an appeal and four people came forward and gave their lives to Christ at the vision night. But then on the way home, got another message. No, we counted wrong. Actually, we got feedback from other people. And eight people gave their lives to Christ at the vision night, which is just for Christians. That's good, isn't it? Like, that's amazing. Like, we're populating heaven because I've got faith for it. Because God has built my faith. And so I'm, I think just want to say to you would you take incremental faith steps would you start stretching out would you would you build your belief because either we're going to stay like this or we're not we'll either perish without a vision or we'll have a vision and it won't be a dream in our heads we'll take some action and god will require us to have astonishing faith because there's a whole community out there who desperately need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tens and tens of thousands of people perishing without Jesus at the moment in our town, on our watch, our time. And brilliant churches in the town. But he's given us a bit of the jigsaw. And I think there's so many talented people in here, from last post players to comedians and preachers and all kinds of skills and accountants and all sorts of skills in this church, astonishing the range of skills from such a small number of people. And it's either here for a purpose or it's not. And I think it's for a purpose, but we have to start building our faith. And I think there'll come a time when God says to us, do you believe, Redeemer King? I do, actually. Do you believe? 
and then it will be up to us to how we respond. And we have to respond together. Next thing, just moving on very briefly. Then he touched her eyes saying, it shall be done according to your faith. It shall be done according to your faith. Remember that. Their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly said to them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him through all that land. And I found that interesting, because obviously that happened in front of witnesses, because this is an eyewitness account. But he said, Don't tell anyone. And they obviously went out and started talking about it, because they were, because they were blind, and now they can see. But I think the heartbeat there is very interesting to me. Let, let other people see what we do. Let's not let's not overclaim. Let's not overpromise and underdeliver. Let's not speak ahead of ourselves. Let 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 the town see what we do as we seek to bless it, and as we proclaim Christ, and as we pray for healing and healing in the broadest sense too, and we start tackling injustices and oppression and debt and poverty and all of these things, and we start to care for the homeless and the poor, and all of the things that are so close to God's heart, as we start doing all that stuff, let other people speak of what we do. We, all Our job is to care for the last, the least, and the lost, point people to Jesus Christ, and point beyond ourselves to Jesus Christ, actually. So that our only, our chief aim is that we follow the biblical mandate to reach the poor, reach the lost, care for the least, and, and glorify the name of Christ in all that we do. To the point where we're saying to people, hey, look, if you see anything good in us as a church, you see anything good in me, it's only because of the one who works in us and in me. It's only because of him. You know, and I've actually said this before, to, just as a really little aside, to people who've got uh, partners or husbands, that, wives that aren't yet believers, which is a very common thing, I've often said to people, well, when I've had deep conversations with people who aren't yet believers, but their, their wife or husband is, I've said, or partner or whatever, I've said, do you not realise that the one you love has been fashioned and shaped by Jesus? That's actually why you love them so much, because the work that they're doing in their lives. And I think that's the same message that we give to our town. Anything good you see in us is only because of the one who works in us. That's, that's it. You know, and anything good you see us do is only because of the one who died for us. So we proclaim Christ. And do you know what? I think that pleases the Lord. And I think that's why Jesus said what he said. And then finally, as they were going out, a mute demon-possessed man was brought to him. And yes, we do believe in demons. We don't believe in them, but we know they work. They're at work and they're around us. And there are evil powers. We do believe we have a personal enemy set against us. And after the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. And remember saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And I just wanted to just state here that it's no surprise that you see a woman being healed from bleeding. You see someone raised from the dead. From verse 18 onwards, we preached on last week. Then you see two blind men healed. And then you see an eruption of satanic activity. And I, I, I felt to say as well this morning that we need to be aware that we do have an enemy. And whilst I don't give him that much attention, 
because that's boring. We, we need to acknowledge that he will not give up uncontested territory. If you follow me. If we start going after enemy territory to shine light in the darkness, if we start trying to do stuff, the enemy will not give that up. He will not give up uncontested territory. So you've got to expect a punch-up. You have, actually. And it'll come in weird ways. Like a bit of disunity here and there. A little bit of, you know, faith rattling. Maybe it's financial pressure. That's what happens. Because the enemy's a dirty fighter. He's like a guerrilla warfare. He comes up and shoots you in the back and you turn around you don't even know what was there. He's all nasty and murky and horrible. It's mucky. That's how the enemy fights us. But he will not give up uncontested territory. So if as a church we're ambitious for Christ, we're ambitious for the things of the kingdom, and we go after the enemy's generals, which is what I want to do, I want this church to go after the enemy's generals and take some down and shine some light in dark places, you've got to expect a little bit of a counterattack. So that means we need to pray more, we need to be in faith more, we've got to build our belief muscles more, and expect to see these disturbances happen around us. I think it was the great William Booth who said something like, uh, it is clear from, you know, William Booth who founded the Salvation Army, something like, it is clear from all the activity around us that evidently the enemy is quite excited at the moment, <laughs> which, is, which is what's going to happen. Don't, don't expect no turbulence. It would be a good sign, actually, but we have to stay united in prayer. I think it's fascinating that in here you see the triumph of heaven. You see light shining into dark places and suddenly there's an eruption of evil activity. The demon surface and then Jesus is like, well, we get that one out as well. Deal with that. And, and, and so it is. But then people had never seen anything like it because never had, they'd seen such power walking on the earth before. But now, of course, we're filled with the Spirit. We're post-resurrection. We're post-Pentecost. We, we walk in the same anointing apparently in faith for the same kinds of things so for me as I read this this morning it's a little bit of a preparatory word for what could be ahead there is a big heartbeat in the church at the moment to see more people come to Christ to see the poor being reached to see the last and least and the lost being cared for and uh, Karen and I were just sharing earlier and uh, we, we had dinner with Colleen and Kathleen or something, we were saying, like, uh, I, I think this church has the softest, hardest people that I've ever worked with, that I've ever been with, journeyed with, the kindest, most open hearts, actually, and people who really want to do something for the lost and the last and the least. I actually honestly believe that in 20 years. I really do. And we've got to harness that special that's a precious thing that God is doing we have to harness that and focus it and have some faith have some belief step up to the next level actually do next level stuff now pray hard give generously open your homes start to pray for your friends who are not believers And I felt challenged personally just close with this. I uh, close with this, and one just one or two little brief things. I felt changed about my my own family because I I I've been privy. I've seen thousands of people come to Christ over the last twenty years, but my own family don't know the Lord. 
So I was actually sitting in bed the other day. I was away from home, sitting in bed in a hotel room. It was about 5.30 in the morning. I thought, I'm going to reach out to my dad. So I, I bought in a book by Tim Keller, The Reason for God. He's a, he's a little bit of a sharp old East End boy, my dad. He's got a good brain. So I sent him that book and I put a little note with it. I think this book will best explain, other than what I can tell you, why I do what I do. Lots of love, Carl. And sent it through the post. And I took a step. Because that's an awkward one for me, actually. And uh, my dad phoned me up. I was on the road. And uh, he said, well, look, I'm going to read it. He said, then let's go on a road trip and drink a brandy together. I thought, that'd be good. And we'll, and, we'll, and we'll discuss it. That was not the response I was expecting. And I'd encourage you, I want to lead by example, do the same. Maybe not the Tim Keller book, maybe one of mine, but do the same. <laughs> do the same. Let's start to incrementally build our faith. Let's prepare for the future. Four things that stop faith, moaning, Philippians 2, 14, do everything about moaning and complaining. Let's eradicate moaning. Critical feedback, yes. Like being analytical about what we're doing, correcting each other when things go wrong, yes. Grumbling, no. Cynicism, no. Belief and faith, yes. Cynicism has no place in the kingdom, but optimistic hope does. Cynicism is an Stop that. Not having that. Fear. Perfect love drives out all fear. We're not a place of fear. We're a place. We're not a phobic place of fear. We're a place of belief and faith that spurs one another on. And uh, we're going to have to guard ourselves against apathy. It's just a little word from the Lord. That little thing that says, "I'm too busy. I'm too busy." Or that, that breeds apathy actually in the end, because you start to just get disappointment. I just uh, fitted a new wood burner. Actually, I've been looking at all the coals. I'm putting coal in. Smokeless coal, but well behaved. Putting the coal in, and I will just watch when I turn the vent down. I watch how the heat spreads. It's a beautiful thing, actually, when you're sitting there with a nice cup of tea. I'm watching how the heat spreads amongst the coals, and it's an obvious illustration. It's a bit of a cliche, but I thought that's that could be us. Let the heat spread amongst the coals. You know, let's all get our temperature up. Let's get, let's get hotter in faith, hotter in belief, hotter in prayer, hotter in hearts of compassion. And let's watch the heat spread out from here, actually. It's only a little burner, but I'm having, I opened the door once, felt all the hot air coming out. That might be happening this morning, all the hot air coming out from the microphone. But I thought, yeah, that's what we want. Let this thing spread.